Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, September 11th, we are studying Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1 through 18. Solomon gives us a third poem concerning wisdom. Both Lady Wisdom and Dame Folly call out to you, beckoning you to follow. To whom will you listen? Everything that Solomon has given us so far in the book of Proverbs makes the matter clear. Choose wisdom. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Sean Kilgo. Pastor Kilgo serves at the Northeast Kansas Lutheran Partnership. Pastor Kilgo, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Hey, good to be back. Pastor Kilgo, as we get started this morning, we're at the end of a particular, of this first section of the book of Proverbs, chapters one through nine really go together. Something new is going to get started. It's a bit of a shift at the beginning of chapter 10. What kind of information from those previous eight chapters, what do we need to know going into chapter nine about the book of Proverbs as a whole, anything with Solomon that's going to help us for this text? Well, the main thing is that chapter nine is kind of acting almost like this this summary chapter. Uh, it's almost like uh, he's giving the the reason, for lack of a better word, for why you should be listening to all the things that he's been saying and the things that he's going to continue saying, especially as you um, you go more into this language in the upcoming chapters of um, that speaking to his son. He, he, he starts bringing out this language, of, you know, like he's talking to his own son. And um, this is kind of acting as that transitionary piece that's then finally contrasting, um, like like you said, uh, Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. And we, we've encountered both. Um, if I remember correctly, though, this is the first time that uh, Lady Folly is actually given the name, that she's the woman Folly, um, versus uh, Wisdom we've become very well acquainted with at this point. Folly has kind of shown up throughout the chapters with maybe some different names, but um, she's been described at least. And now you're going to get this kind of final contrasting. Here's what wisdom's going to do and say. Here's what folly's going to do and say. And this is why you want to follow wisdom and not folly. And ultimately, it's going to be because in one you have life and in the other you simply have death. Yeah, I think you're right that we've not actually heard Lady Folly speak as she's been named Lady Folly, which she does get named in this text. But we've we've definitely been prepared to hear her and to recognize her for who she actually is and to see past the the nice picture that she presents. In many ways, I think you know, Proverbs doesn't have a narrative per se. It's it's not a, a story. But chapter nine does, I think, form a climax of sorts to these first nine chapters that everything that Solomon has been saying thus far in addressing his sons, in giving us other poems concerning wisdom, it's all been laying the foundation for this chapter 
to hear from Lady Wisdom and then from Lady Folly and to recognize which one is speaking to you truly. And, and Lady Folly, we haven't heard from her specifically, but in that adulterous woman that showed up several times in the previous chapters, we've been prepared to recognize her voice, the voice of Lady Folly, as a voice that will not lead to life, but instead will lead to death. Right. And and also, like, we'll, we'll remember that that Solomon has, well, he hasn't used the, the language of um, the woman folly. He has talked about the fools, right, pretty extensively. And that's going to be connected here as well, is that um, ultimately the, the ones who are wise are the ones who listen to Lady Wisdom. And the ones who are fools are the ones who listen to Lady Folly, right? So it's, um, you, you end up being described by, uh, in, in Proverbs, uh, by who you're listening to right and and like you mentioned um th this is really the first time she's she's speaking so so what does she actually have to say um and that and it's kind of interesting as we'll as we'll see how that all unfolds um but yeah especially um i think chapter seven in proverbs is is helpful to to see can you get this preview and a lot of very similar language uh regarding um the uh, regarding lady folly who is there referred to as the adulteress and and i think that it's really good for us to see that connection between the two for sure i mean there's obviously the and we we had this discussion when we were going through those previous chapters that clearly solomon is warning against actual adultery sins of the sins against the sixth commandment but at the same time it does seem that he's he's laying the foundation for you to listen to the words of Lady Folly here and recognize her for who she is, see through her lies and listen to Lady Wisdom instead. As, as we think about this text as a whole, we've got the whole of chapter nine today, Pastor Philgo, a couple of thoughts that you've got here in your notes. How does it, how does it break down structurally speaking? And then where does it show up in the lectionary and how does that inform our reading of it today? Yeah, so the, the split up of it is, if you read through it, it actually kind of shows itself fairly clearly even the little headings like in the SV and stuff do this a little bit you've got the the first part which is chapters or excuse me verses one through six and that's where you've got the kind of unfolding of who lady wisdom is and what she's saying and then what's really interesting is you get verses seven through 12 are kind of a further unpacking of that but these are like these little proverbs that lady wisdom herself is saying so it's it's kind of cool because you've got proverbs in the book of proverbs that's you know um, it's kind of another layer of the proverbs themselves and then from 13 through the end in verse 18 you get all of that being contrasted with uh lady folly uh who is uh, again described in, in pretty similar ways but uh very importantly distinct ways from lady wisdom so those are the three things you get who lady wisdom is um, you get some proverbs from her and then you get who lady folly is and that's that's kind of the structure and then what's interesting is that this text uh, anybody who's on the one-year lectionary will uh, have this text coming up in uh, trinity 2 um, and what's kind of fascinating is that the text that it's paired with 
And that is Ephesians 2, uh, verses 13 through 22, where St. Paul is talking about the redemption that we have in Christ and that we're being made into the household of God. But then he goes into this language of um, being built on the foundations of uh, the apostles uh, and the prophets as and Christ is the, the cornerstone. And we're going to hear kind of an echoing of that sort of language at the outset of this. And then also Luke 14, uh, verses 15 through 24, which is one of the uh, parables, one of the banquet parables. Uh, and this is the one where you get um, the initial people who are invited start giving all these excuses why they can't show up. Uh, and so then the invitation goes out to everybody from there. And uh, the the parallel with that to what how Lady Wisdom is depicted, especially in the opening uh, passages of this, is really fascinating, as well as how you kind of get this glimpse of what those who are following after Lady Folly, what that actually kind of looks like. Uh, you get that unfolding a little bit in the parallel in the parable as well. So um, the the pairing of those texts together in the lectionary is is really helpful, I think, uh, in the church here for actually unpacking what's going on, at least a little bit of what's going on in Proverbs 9 uh, when that shows up. Yeah, both of those readings that it's paired with have the same, or you get both images in those readings. In the Ephesians 2, you get the building image, and in Luke 14, you get the feasting image. And so, I mean, you're, we're going we're gonna to look at both of those here in our text today. So let's go ahead and start reading here in Proverbs chapter 9. We'll break it down like you have for us, Pastor Gogo. So we're going to read verses 1 through 6 first. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. That was Proverbs 9 verses 1 through 6. Pastor Kilgo, in the first verse, the picture that's given to us is the picture of a building. There's two things, built her house and seven pillars. We can have a discussion, I think, on both. Just first, in terms of this image of building a house, that wisdom is building a house. What is that telling us? Yeah, so I think what we want to have in our minds here, and, and maybe at the outset of this, and I, I know that this has been mentioned uh, previously with Proverbs, but it's just good to kind of be reminded of this, that especially in reading a book like Proverbs or the Psalms, um, and in fact, the majority of the scriptures themselves is we want to uh, kind of orient ourselves in such a way where we're trying to get what the picture is that's being painted. And uh, I know you guys had brought this up in um, with Proverbs 1. Uh, Pastor Wolf Mueller has brought this to a lot of people's attention, uh, thankfully, uh, in, in a very helpful way that, that the scriptures are giving us these pictures to have in our minds of what's going on in order for us to kind of visualize the reality, right? Because a, a lot of these things are not necessarily physical things that you can grab onto. And so when you can paint a picture around, it makes it a little bit easier to understand what's going on. This is especially true in these opening passages where wisdom has built her house, right? Uh, you, you get this picture of this this uh, wise lady that's kind of constructed this this home to dwell in. And I think 
what we ought to have in our mind is the picture that Jesus gives us of the building of the church. Uh, and this is language that he uses pretty often. The two that come to my mind, especially though, is uh, one at the confession of St. Peter, where St. Peter gives his confession. Jesus says he's blessed and he says um, that uh, upon this uh, rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then the other is when Jesus tells the parable of the, the, the wise man and the foolish man, and the wise man builds his house upon the rock, and the foolish man builds his house upon the sand, right? So you get that, even that language of, of wisdom and foolishness showing up there in conjunction with the building of the house. Um, and in both of these, Jesus is talking about the building of the church, right? Um, that, that the church is built on the Lord's wisdom and not on foolishness. And when it's built in such a way on that foundation of wisdom, uh, as the parable shows us, it's, it's not going to come crashing down when, uh, when persecution and, and trouble comes at it, uh, but it's also not going to come crashing down when the very gates of hell come and fight against it, right? Um, and, and that's a great comfort to us because neither of those things are within our control, right? We can't control, as we've very obviously been reminded the last many months, we are not in control of the things that are going on around us. Um, and so to have this great comfort that the church stands there as this uh, great fortress, um, as Luther reminds us in the hymn, it, it's going to stand there and stand firm in the midst of all these things, right? That the, the waves are going to crash and beat against its walls and the armies of, of hell are going to come and try and assault it and they're all going to fail, right? Because they're the, this house, um, this household of God has been built on the foundation of Jesus. Um, and then the New Testament carries this along and kind of continues with this imagery. You've got it like in Ephesians 2, which is the text we mentioned with the one-year lectionary that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus being cornerstone. You have First Peter 2, where uh, St. Peter is talking about the building up of the church that, and he says, you yourselves are living stones being built up. Uh, so he gives that imagery of the, the church being the, the, the body of Christ, the, uh, the believers gathered. Uh, and then first Timothy three, that the church of God is a pillar and a buttress of the truth, which is just fantastic. And again, is this idea that it's, it's solid, like it's not going to go anywhere. Um, because it is more firm than the things that are fighting against it. That imagery of a building actually did show up in chapter eight as well on a, maybe a bigger scale. The end of chapter eight, you have another poem concerning wisdom. And there we learn of wisdom's role in creation. And in verse 30, wisdom is called a master workman. So this idea of, of wisdom building things that last is, is present there in creation. And now it's it's present in the the church. If I could put it in in creedal terms, the the lasting nature of what wisdom builds is present in the first article and everything that God makes, but it's especially present now in the second and in the third articles and what He does through His Son Jesus Christ in the redemption that He's won, and now in the building of the church through the means of grace by the Holy Spirit. So these these things are all connected, and and that picture again is just I mean we need to have this picture of a of a fortress, of a very 
the sturdiest house you can imagine. This is what's being built. This is what's being put forward. That's what wisdom has to offer. And that description is added to, she's hewn her seven pillars. Now, Pastor Coe, you and I correspond a little bit about this ahead of time as to these seven pillars and what they might be. And maybe we can't come to affirm this is exactly what it has to be. But when we hear of these seven pillars that Lady Wisdom has hewn, what do we need to be thinking about? Yeah, so um, we, we ought to say, like, at the outset of this, and anytime we run across these things, that we can we can guess at what these things are. You know, you get the number seven, and you can kind of start thinking about, okay, well, well where do you get other sevens showing up, right? But ultimately, uh, we have to be upfront and and honest about it and say, look, Solomon doesn't tell us, the Lord doesn't tell us what these seven pillars actually are, uh, what they are specifically referring to, um, and perhaps are even referring to a multitude of things. Uh, that's very much possible. Uh, but in conjunction with the building of the house, the, the picture that I think we really need to have in our minds is that uh, there is a firmness to this structure. Um, in, in the ancient world, if you're building a house, normally you've got four pillars, right? And that's plenty to hold the building up, as we can see by the fact that we still have buildings from the ancient world still standing a few thousand years later. Um, so you can imagine if you're building a house with seven pillars, every, every time you're adding another pillar to that, you're increasing the structural integrity of the thing. And so this idea of having seven pillars, I mean, this this is going to be a house that's going to... Um, take a lick and keep on ticking. Uh, it, it, it's not going to, like like I mentioned, it's not going to fall to any of these um, these attacks that come upon it, either from the world or from the very gates of hell. Um, it's going to stand firm. Uh, it's uh, a strong and mighty fortress that, that stands up a, against assault. And uh, the other thing is when we get this number seven, we, I think, especially like in wisdom literature, uh, we do want to bring in that understanding that uh, seven generally tends to indicate something along the lines of holiness or perfection or completion, right? So that this is, we might say, the um, the perfect number of pillars that this this house that wisdom has built has the the perfect structural integrity or the perfect structure to it um, that there's nothing that can be added to it that will make it better right and when we remember that we're talking about the church here that's really helpful for us because it uh, alleviates us from that temptation to try and fix the church which is always a temptation of ours we, we always think that you know that the church is got something wrong with it and we need to come along and be the church's savior. Um, uh, and we, we try and start acting like God or like Christ himself uh, in all of this and fixing something that's not actually broken, right? The, the, the thing that's broken is our, um, our foolishness that we bring into the whole thing, um, which will erode the foundations, right? It, we're, we're building things on foundations that aren't wise, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, it, we, we don't need to try and fix the church. Uh, Bonhoeffer has a, a, a nice uh, 
quote about this. It shows up in the treasure of daily prayer every year. And I forget exactly where it's at, but he, he talks about this sort of thing that um, it is not the church's role to go and try and fix all these things, thinking that something's wrong, but the, it is the church's role to confess and to confess the truth, right? Mm -hmm. um, that thing that we have been built upon uh, to confess the prophets and the apostles and the cornerstone of Christ. Right. Yeah. It's it's not the church's job to build. I know I know the quote you're talking about. I can't put I couldn't quote it exactly for like, but you said that is the that's the point. The church confesses. The church does not build, the church does not create. The church confesses what she has been given because this is a house that is sturdy. It's got seven pillars, the the completion of the that complete number that's there. And then the image changes or it shifts. You've got the image of building. Now we move into the image of feasting, which is is connected, and and it's another familiar image from Scripture. You've got wisdom slaughtering beasts, mixing wine, setting this table, and then calling people to in, invite. Uh, we've got a few minutes here before the break, Pastor Kilgo. Take us into this image of the feast that Solomon gives us there in verse two. Yeah. So so staying with the fact that we're talking about the church here and wisdom is building her church. Now, what is wisdom doing within that church? Well, she's setting a banquet, right? When we think about um, all the parables and all the, the images that Jesus uses in the, new, in the, in the Gospels uh, in regards to the church and its connection to this wedding banquet or this great feast or the, these sorts of things, this, this starts to make a lot more sense. And then to, to realize that, in fact, this is for the church going to culminate in the, the feast of the Lord's Supper, right? Mm -hmm. That this is the feast that the Lord is preparing for us, you know, as the 23rd Psalm says, that he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies, right? So again, we've got these enemies that are trying to bombard the church. They're trying to you know, uh, topple it. And the walls are standing firm. And in the midst of that, because the walls are firm and we are found within that uh, safety, the Lord then also prepares a meal for us in their presence for us to eat, um, which is which is great because there's two things going on there that are, that are so fantastic. One, the Lord's providing and, and caring for us. He's feeding us, right? But it's also in the midst of being attacked, right? Normally, when you're being attacked, you don't sit down to dinner, right? Mm -hmm. But you do if the fortress has been fortified and nobody's going to be able to break in, right? If you think about like some of the Lord of the Rings movies, if you've seen those, um, you have this where they're trying to, you've got the enemies trying to get in um, like a Minas Tirith and uh, it's this impregnable fortress, or at least they think. And uh, so they're going and they're sitting down to eat and they're not really all that worried about them getting in, right? Uh, that That's kind of the idea of sitting down at a table in the presence of your enemies. Um, it's only because you know that the enemies can't actually do anything to you. Right. And I mean, that that imagery here of an enemy, it's maybe not the same as a battle imagery here, but the imagery of an enemy is going to show up here at the end where wisdom is calling in order that you would come into her house and feast upon these good gifts that bring life. Meanwhile, there is an enemy, Lady Folly, who is also calling to you, inviting you into her house to receive things that may look like 
the gifts that Lady Wisdom has, but in the end can only lead to death. So we've got we've got these two images going together. I like the way you tied them together. Wisdom's built the house, the church, the church is immovable. What's happening in this church, it is a feast on the gifts of God that culminate in the Lord's Supper. We're going to keep digging into this imagery here in Proverbs chapter 9 on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We will be right back. Please stick around. Music, like the human spirit, is able to laugh, cry, hope, comfort, contemplate, and celebrate. All those sorts of music and more are part of the weekly program Sing for Joy. Let your spirit be touched by great music of the church. Join us. Sundays at noon on KFUO, the messenger of good news. Cross Defense is the show where we talk about curious topics to excite the imagination equip the mind, and comfort the soul with God's Word. Join me, Pastor Tyrell Bramwell, every Monday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio or anytime on KFUO.org or even your favorite podcast app. My friends, our foe is a fierce enemy. Our only defense is Christ on the cross. The idea that our creation is the result of a fluke and accident is ridiculous. A hundred thousand monkeys typing on a hundred thousand typewriters, even after a million years, would never produce the works of William Shakespeare. But they might produce several episodes of Wrestling with the Basics Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. On air or on demand. A click away 24 hours a day at KFUO.org. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, September 11th. We're looking at Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1 through 18. We've got Pastor Sean in partnership. Pastor Kilgo, we've been looking at these first couple of verses. The imagery is one of a sturdy, well-built house. Seven pillars. Completeness is the picture. We've got a picture of the church founded on Jesus Christ the confession that he has given us to proclaim within that church, he sets his feast before us. And then in, in verse three, wisdom now sends out messengers, young women to call from the highest places in town. How does this fit into that picture? Yeah. So there's, there's a couple aspects of this, right? So um, you've got the, the text like in Romans 10, uh, where uh, St. Paul says, how are they to preach without being sent as it is written? How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those who preach good news, who publish peace. So there's certainly that aspect to it. Uh, but I think what we want to realize is that this is not limited to that, right? That that the Lord has commissioned the baptized to go and tell people uh, about what's going on in the church, about the Lord and his mercy, his forgiveness, about Christ and the blood that he shed for them, right? And and I'm reminded, especially with this imagery of, of the feasting and stuff, um, uh, Luther's quote that's scribbled on the uh, piece of paper in his pocket when he dies, and he says, um, uh, we are all beggars showing other beggars where to find bread, 
right? And, th and this is fantastic. Like, if you want like a, a great little like summary line for evangelism, like this is what it is. We know where the bread is. We know where the feast is. We know where there's safety. Um, uh, or to uh, to paraphrase um, uh, the Gospel of John, come and see. Right. That that's what it's what fundamentally we're doing, and and that is the role of all the baptized. Right. That this is not just for pastors to do. Uh, pastors are given the particular duties of of preaching and administering the sacraments uh, publicly. Right. But it is the um, the, the great, uh, uh, not not just duty, but but privilege of the baptized to go out and uh, tell other people where to find the feast, right? So they would join us at the altar. Right. Yeah. I mean, and this is connect this to all of those spots in the book of Proverbs, where Solomon will say, "Wisdom doesn't despise correction." Or, or the scoffer does despise correction. Well, well, why? I mean, how does that fit? Those who are wise and giving the instruction or the correction are those who have already feasted at this table. And, and they're simply inviting you to partake of that bounty that they have received first from wisdom, from Christ in his church. So, so all the beggars who have come into the house of wisdom now are calling out to everyone else, and, and we've seen this elsewhere in the book of Proverbs, that when Lady Wisdom stands and calls, or when she sends her messengers to call, she calls to everyone. Here they're going to the highest places in the town so that they can be heard everywhere within the town. And the call is first, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. We've seen the simple before in the book of Proverbs, Pastor Kelgo. Who are the simple to whom wisdom is calling? Well, I, I would just say, you know, the, the simple, we've used the word beggar. I, I'd say we can make those synonymous terms, right? The, um, it's the one who is, um, you know, it's not, I, I think as English speakers, we can hear this as kind of an insult, right? Um, and it took me personally even a little while to get, get over this because, um, you know, as a pastor, one of the, uh, um, one of the great Psalms that we have for spiritual care um, during the time of of death is Psalm 116. It's just this fantastically beautiful psalm, and right in the middle of it, you get this um, this little statement: "The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, He saved me." And I was I was always tempted to uh, just kind of skip over that because I didn't want to like insult the the person and make them think that I was calling them like uh, dumb or something like that. Right, because we our ears can hear it like that, but that's not what's going on. The the simple, the beggars are those who are like Jesus exhorts us to in in the Gospels to be like children. Right, that is that we would be perfectly and completely dependent on the Lord for all things. That we would trust in His wisdom. That we would take that wisdom um, as our own wisdom. Uh, that the we know that the Lord is going to care for us, that he's going to give us everything we need in this life and especially for the life of the world to come. Uh, and so we place our faith and our trust and as we're going to see in a minute, our, also our fear uh, in the one who gives those things, right? And, that, and that's what the simple is. Now then in verse five, you also, there, 
the text continues at the end of verse four, actually, to him who lacks sense, she, wisdom, says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. There we have very specifically bread and wine. Earlier it was beasts that are slaughtered, wine that is mixed. Here it is bread and wine. And I don't think, Pastor Kelgo, I don't think that it is only talking about the Lord's Supper. But I think anytime we do see bread and wine paired together in the scriptures, we can't help but make those connections as well. Right. Well, and especially just in the, all the context that we've had with this, right, talking about the church and uh, calling to uh, to come and be a part of it, right? You you hear that and you're like, okay, there's at the very least a, a reference to the Lord's Supper going on here. Um, but I think also we, we want to see kind of the uh, the eschatological, the, the, the last days um, uh, sense to all of this, and especially the, the language that was brought up that you mentioned that the, uh, the beasts and everything being slaughtered. You have the, this great passage from Isaiah 20, 25 um, on, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, et cetera, et cetera, right? This this beautiful passage talking about the last day when he returns and he swallows up death forever. Uh, it, it's just so fantastic. And I think that we want to hear that in here, especially um, the the feasting that we have eternally in the resurrection, Right. Because that's ultimately what we're driving at, that even the Lord's Supper itself is driving us towards that. It is, as we say in the liturgy, a foretaste of the feast to come. Right. This still as awesome as the Lord's Supper is. It still isn't as good as it's going to be. Right. And I think we've talked about that before. Yeah, I mean, the, the imagery here of the feast definitely does connect us to end times language and and the end of death, which I think is an important thing to, to note here, particularly as we will see, which we will get to what Lady Folly says at the end of the text, I promise. But when, <laughs> when we see that the end of Lady Folly is death, how do you avoid that death? How do you stay out of that house? It is by dwelling in this house, in the house of the Lord, the house that wisdom has built, where where you are fed with, well, the hymn, as you were talking there, Pastor Kogo, the hymn, O Living Bread from Heaven came to mind. And there's this mm-hmm. just fantastic line there. It's in stanza three. You gave me all I wanted. This food can death destroy. This this right. food, which, which culminates in the Lord's Supper. And then, as you said, in, in the feast that is to come in eternity, this is food that defeats even death. The food that, I mean, think of what Jesus says in, in John chapter 6 when he compares the food that he brings versus the manna that was given in the wilderness. The, the father, Their fathers ate that food in the wilderness and they died. Jesus is giving you bread from heaven so that you will eat it and you will never die. And, and again, it's, it's not only talking about the Lord's Supper, but we need to take it to the Lord's Supper and all the way to the feast that is to come in eternity. Right. And, and we also want to connect this uh, ultimately um, with faith, right? Uh, right. That, right. That faith is um, ultimately that thing that is trusting in uh, these promises connected to the sacrament of the altar, connected to your baptism connected to the preaching, all these things, that, that faith in what the Lord gives and why he gives it, um, all of that um, is connected there. And that's going to be at the foundation of wisdom as well. And what's kind of fundamentally going to separate it from foolishness. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, there, faith, I'm glad you brought that up. First John chapter five, the, what is the victory that has overcome the world? It is our faith. John writes, right. who, who is right. it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? That's from first John chapter five. So yeah, to, to bring faith in that's, that's very important. Let's keep reading here so that we do get to the rest of the text. Pastor, we're in Proverbs nine. We're going to read the second part. Now these Proverbs that come from lady wisdom verses seven through 12. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. That's the middle section of this text. The first several verses aren't comparing wisdom and folly as much as they are comparing the ones who follow wisdom and the ones who follow folly. So you get the scoffer on the one hand and you get the wise man on the other. Take us into this contrast, Pastor Kilgo. Yes, so I I think they... The place to to go immediately with this is, at least in my mind, is Psalm one, right, where where the Lord lays this out for us, um, in the in this helpful way that that the man is called blessed, um, who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor does he stand in the way of sinners, nor does he sit in the seat of scoffers, but rather his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night, right? Um, so so the distinction then between the scoffer and um, the wise one or the blessed one is going to be whether or not they uh, they delight in God's law in His Word, right? Um, th- that's going to be the fundamental distinction, then, right? And, and the scoffer is going to be the one who who hears these things and just dismisses them because they're uh, they they just sound silly, right? It's like uh, what what Saint Paul uh, warns us about in in romans that that these things are uh foolishness right um so uh at, at least to the um at least to the unbeliever right uh the the idea that um god puts on flesh for the purpose of him dying is is foolishness right i was talking with our confirmants uh this last wednesday that you look at something uh like baptism and like if you just talk to someone who like doesn't know anything about religion or Christianity or whatever, and you're like, okay, you need to be uh, saved eternally and kind of explain that. And then you ask them like, how do you think God, this guy called God is going to accomplish that? Um, it's probably going to take them a long, long time listing off things before they get to, he's going to put water on you and say words, right? That just, right. that doesn't make any sense, right? Um, and the scoffers going to scoff at that, right? It's like, that's, that's just water, right? Um, but the one who's wise trusts in the promise that's been attached to those things, right? The, the words that have actually come to us from God. I mean, not only is the scoffer going to scoff at it, but he's actually going to, uh, the way Solomon has it here, is going to attack the one who speaks that wisdom. It's It's not just a, it's not a, an aloofness or sort of just a, a neutral position, but it is an actual attack against that wisdom and the one who speaks it. Right. Well, and and if you want like an example of that, just, you know, 
post some truth of the scriptures on social media and wait about five seconds. Right. That's right. <laughs> I mean, it's, that's right. It's It's going to come your way pretty quick on Twitter. Yeah. yeah it'll, it'll show up pretty quick. Um, but also, I mean, if, if you want an example of this, if you're, if you're out and you're talking with, um, uh, friends or, uh, just general acquaintances or whatever it might be. And they, and they say something that, you know, is contrary to the scriptures, uh, try, um, as gently as possible offering a correction to that uh and see what happens right it it usually is not the most enjoyable of experiences uh for the one who's uh, in the in the words of solomon here reproving right mm -hmm. which is what that means it's 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 offering a a correction to the truth right and and of course we should all remember that that any of us at any given moment might be the one scoffing. We don't we don't always receive right. the Lord's correction and instruction with the wisdom that we ought, which is I think part of what, what Solomon is doing here when you've you've got lady wisdom calling, lady folly calling to you both, which one will you listen to? Recognizing that sometimes the call of of lady wisdom, well, I mean you were talking about earlier, Pastor Kilgo, with that word simple or the word it says to him who lacks sense. But to be told that there's something that we lack, something that we need from the outside, is not the message that we're always ready and willing to hear. And so to recognize ourselves in those scoffers at times is, is certainly right, that we would see that this is the position we would be in. How, how do we avoid that? Well, that's where verse 10 of this chapter comes in. Words that we've heard before in the book of Proverbs, we get a bit of a bookend here on this section, chapters one through nine, verse 10 brings up the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And, and this is a key, not just to this section of Proverbs, but really to the whole book. And you could probably say the whole scriptures. Yeah, um, it is definitely a fundamental thing in the scriptures that uh, wisdom and the fear of God go with one another and that the fear of, of the Lord is as Solomon says, the beginning of that, it's, it's the initiation of that. Um, and, and part of the reason for that is because it sets us in a proper relationship before the Lord, right? So it, Jesus reminds us, um, do not fear um, that which can only destroy the body, but rather fear him who can, after killing the body, can cast both body and soul into hell, right? Namely, fear the one who has eternal judgment, right? Um, Fear the one who has authority over not only your body, but also your e your eternity. So um, it, it's interesting to me that this has always stuck with me. When I was on my vicarage, um, I was teaching a, a Bible study class, and I just kind of uh, decided to ask the class, uh, should you be afraid of God? Should you fear God? Um and like 90% of the class said no, right? Um, and so we, we might see this and you're reading along and you're like, yeah, well, okay, of, of course. But the reason why this exhortation keeps coming up is in chapter one, like you said, now it's in chapter nine, uh, that this language of uh, fear the Lord uh, shows up constantly in the Psalms um, as well in some of the other wisdom literature. Uh, and the reason why is because we always have to be reminded of this, right? Like, like you mentioned with, um, you know, uh, the the scoffer and and the and the righteous man, right? That we are not 
beyond in this life, as long as we still carry the sinful flesh with us, we are not beyond being uh, amongst the scoffers, right? At, le at least in heart. Um, we are not beyond thinking that we no longer have any need to fear God. And that's a very dangerous place to be. Um, uh, and because this begins our, like Solomon says, our, our wisdom. And what's really nice is then he connects this um, with uh, knowledge of the Holy One that is being being instructed in the truth, right? Um, that those go together. Um, the Being instructed in the truth of God's word and fearing the Lord um, go with one another, right? The, the more you know about God um, and the more you know about your sin, which are two of the fundamental instructions uh, points of instruction in the scriptures, the more you are going to rightly fear God who can uh, punish that sin. But what, what's amazing is that there's this, this cyclical thing that, that starts to happen is that as soon as we are, we come before the Lord in a rightly ordered fear, his response to that, and we see this in the gospels over and over is do not fear, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then, you know, when we're tempted to come before the Lord, in in pridefulness he says fear me <laughs> mm. right so so he's ne he's never kind of leaving us in a really comfortable spot which is good for us we we can never we can never become complacent uh in in the faith uh, with that cycle right L lest we lest we listen in that complacency to lady folly so let's go ahead and, and hear what lady folly has to say here at the end of our text this is proverbs 9 verses 13 through 18 the woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. That's the end of the text for today. Patrick, I'll go, we've got about eight minutes here on the morning, and there's plenty that we could talk about. I think one of the things that stands out are the similarities that woman folly has to lady wisdom. There's a lot that looks very similar, perhaps on the surface. Solomon invites us to look and see the reality behind it all. Yeah, yeah. Um... And, and this is really, really important for us, right? Because we, we have this tendency to think, like you even look at how the things are depicted, like in artwork, um, that uh, the, the, the things that are opposed to God and the things of God are going to be really obvious. You know, they're going to be clothed in darkness and flames and, you know, uh, everybody's going to have horns and all, all this, you know, pointy teeth. But that's not the depiction that the scriptures actually give for us. And, and this is a great example of that. You've got this woman folly. Now, now I love it because Solomon, the way he prefaces the whole thing, um, she's loud and seductive and knows nothing. <laughs> it is, uh, and then, but then he goes on to, to show, you know, that's what she is in reality, but here's what she looks like on the outside. She sits at the door of the house, right? Well, she's got a house just like lady wisdom. Um, and she takes a seat in the highest places of the town, just like Lady Wisdom has sent her young women to the highest places in the town to, to call out. And uh, in fact, she calls out to those who pass along the way, just like Lady Wisdom does. She says, in fact, some of the exact same things. Whoever is simple, let him turn to here. It's the exact same phrase, right? 
um, she sounds like uh, Lady Wisdom. And I cannot help in this but think of uh, one in Second Corinthians where St. Paul says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Uh, so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Um, but also when, when the devil comes and he tempts Jesus, um, he quotes the Bible, right? And this is always really important for us to see that um, the devil's sitting there and he's, he's quoting God's word to God, right? Try, trying to um, uh, get God to uh, not believe what he's actually himself said. And what's incredible about it is like when he quotes the psalm, he quotes it accurately with the exception of just leaving out half of a verse, right? That, that's all he does. He doesn't change the wording of it at all. Um, and so he's doing a very similar thing to what uh, Lady Folly is doing here in in saying very similar stuff. And she invites them to uh, come in and um, uh, and eat and drink, right? Uh, but this now, th th this is where you start seeing the, the changes. It's not wine. It's... Uh, stolen water right um and it's uh bread that's eaten in secret right it's not this kind of banquet eating it's like you know going and hiding in the corner with a little loaf of bread and some water that you stole um and it, it, it's kind of interesting to me because you know stolen water doesn't you know maybe stolen wine but stolen water just doesn't sound all that exciting to me um so it, it, it it's interesting because there is this kind of warping of the mind that occurs within the the sin itself um and but then solomon uh brackets this with how he started it that he reveals the the true reality um the 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 one that goes in there does so not knowing that the dead are there right it un unlike the ones with lady wisdom it's it's not the ones who are living right so lady wisdom had said um leave your simple ways and live Right. Um, or uh, at, at the end of the, the Proverbs that she says, uh, by me, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. Right. So so being with with Lady Wisdom and being in her house means that you're going to be alive. Um, and it looks like the same is going to be true for Lady Folly. But in fact, everybody's there is is dead. And the the word dead here is is kind of important. There's probably a footnote in your Bible that it says um uh, Rephaim, uh, and this is the the Hebrew word for specifically um, uh, dead spirits. Um, the dead spirits are there, and and this is helpful because it might not look like the people are dead, but they are spiritually, and that that's the the greater uh, danger that that's being warned about here. Yeah, that that last verse, he does not know that the dead are there that that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. To put an image in, in your mind, it, you know that scene in the Pirates of the Caribbean, the first one, where uh -huh. where they're revealed for the first time, here's a spoiler alert, that the pirates <laughs> on the Black Pearl are actually dead. And and right. the, the shock that's there 
I think is, is a, a similar idea of what, what Solomon, he wants you to see the picture that, that you think you're going into this house of feasting and banqueting. When you listen to lady fall and you find this pleasure in, in drinking the stolen water and eating this bread in secret, it, it seems like it's going to be a great feast, but in reality, this is actually the, the feast of the dead. And it's the exact opposite of what lady wisdom has to offer you. Pastor Kilgo, we've, we've got just under three minutes here. And, and we've, I mean, we've looked at this whole text, some things up, make the case for us as, as we have it here in Proverbs chapter nine, why we should listen to lady wisdom and to flee from lady folly. Well, well, the fundamental argument is going to be in one of them, you have life and in one of them, you have death, but it's, it's more than even that at the service, because it's, it's more than just simply in one of these, you're going to, you know, be able to walk around on the earth and the other, you're going to be in the grave. Uh, we know that we're going to end up in the grave, right? We, we know that. So what's the big deal? And this is where it goes back to the, the, the spiritual death, right? Um, that with wisdom, we are brought spiritually into life, right? Uh, with Lady Folly, we are brought spiritually into death. Um, one directs us to God's word. And one directs us to other words. And, and this is um, what happens right at the beginning of the fall, right? God warns Adam and Eve that on the day in which you eat of it, dying, you will die. That is dying spiritually, you will die physically. Uh, and they listen to the words of the devil, the, the, the foolish words, right? And then th for the rest of creation, he is uh, urging us back to his own words, to the words of wisdom uh, given to us in the scriptures because only in there will we have life. As uh, the apostles say, when, when Jesus asked them, hey, are you going to leave me also? And he says, they say, where are we going to go? You, Lord, have the words of eternal life, right? And we quote that in our, I think it's Divine Service Sending 4, um, uh, in conjunction with the gospel reading. These words, these wise words uh, instruct us in wisdom, and they uh, protect us, they guard us from uh, being able to, um, or they, they, they protect us from falling into uh, foolishness and into death and not even realizing that that's happened, right? Um, but they also bring us into this, this marvelous light that just illuminates everything. They, they put us into the, into the ark that is the church. They, they feed us uh, with, with God's good gifts. Um, they, they keep us in the faith until he returns. Pastor Sean Kilgo is the pastor at Nor the Northeast Kansas Lutheran Partnership, helping us this morning with Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1 through 18. Pastor Kilgo, thanks for being our guest today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Lady Wisdom calls, Lady Folly calls. They sound similar, but Lady Folly only offers you death. In the house of Lady Wisdom, where you hear the words of Christ and feast upon his gifts, even his very body and blood in the supper, you have life and life eternal. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.